That's improv, bitch. Improv, bitch. I mean, after all, you're nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Hi, I'm Jimmy Corain, and this is another very special episode of Improv Nerd. We were fortunate enough to meet Ike Barinholtz of Mad TV and HBO's Eastbound and Down and his younger brother, John, at the legendary Harry Carey's Restaurant in Chicago. And when we arrived there before uh, the Barinholtz did, their father, Alan Barinholtz, was there before we got there. So we incorporated him in this interview uh, to get some perspective on them growing up. We talked about uh, how Ike and John started in improv, Mad TV, and some secrets about improvising for on-camera audition. We are at Harry Carey's Restaurant in Chicago. Uh, we are with Ike Barinholtz, uh, you know him from Mad TV and Eastbound and Down on HBO, and his younger brother, uh, John. I want to, to welcome you guys uh, to doing a very special improv nerd. Thank you. Thank you so much you for having, having us. us. Nice. So let, let me start with you, John. What was Ike like as an older brother? He was great. Ike was a great older brother. He was uh, he was the older brother that you would see in '80s movies. I think like a lot of John Hughes movies. Like a, a good uh, good guy. Uh, always always protected me, which is good. And uh, how did he protect you? Well, I, if there was ever you know Ike wanted to to step in, if anyone would ever like mess with me or uh, even like from like low pressure situations to high pressure situations, I could make it a a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 and make sure that... Do you remember a time where you had to step in to protect him? I do. First of all, I remember all the older brothers in John Hughes movies being assholes. No, no. I remember, like, Chet and Weird Science Uh, was a huge dick. That's true. Uh, In 16 Candles, all the siblings were assholes. They were bad. Uh, Living in the 80s movies, then. My brother was a a bigger-boned child. Uh You can say fat. You can say fat. Husky, chubby, uh, enjoyed food. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I remember one day uh, this little tiny kid was giving him a hard time, and my brother was upset. And I walked up to this kid who's probably I'm not kidding four four foot two maybe, and I grabbed the kid by the back of the neck and I said, "If you ever say anything about my brother again, I'll fucking kill you." And was it was this the East Bank club? No, it was at Latin. Oh, and Latin. and this kid started crying, <laughs> like he started shaking. I mean, he was eight years younger than me. It was really. <laughs> Inappropriate anger, very misdirected. Now, were you, um, as a kid, were you kind of like that, that a tough kid, or was it only when it was your brother? Oh was in yeah, danger? oh only when my brother was in danger. The rest of the time, I was a coward. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you, you, we grew up, uh, you know, Jewish kids on the north side. You don't really, uh, you're not really exactly El Rukens. You know, you're, uh, you know, you basically have to kind of be funny and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, use humor to. to uh, Diffuse any situations, I think. Now, I, I spoke to your dad earlier today, and he credits his sense of humor for influencing your guy's sense of humor. Do you, do, yes. He, he was a stand-up comic. I he never was. knew that. He was. A a stand- yeah, he was a stand-up. He did the Playboy clubs. He was also opposed for Playboy. Um, <laughs> that was their worst year. Yeah, it was their worst year of Playboy's <laughs> history. Um, but, yeah, no, he was a very you know funny guy and would do impressions and accents, and he also introduced us at a very young age to, like, 
Woody Allen movies. Like we watched Bananas. Our parents are huge movie fans. Oh, uh, huge, huge, movie, huge fans. movie fans. Yeah. And as funny as our our dad is, our mom is as funny being a straight person. Uh-huh. You know, it's definitely a bit of an Abbott and Costello <laughs> type of situation. You know, where my dad was uh, was was uh, uh, Luke Costello, and my mom was Bud Abbott. And I'm only saying that because they both look like them. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely a very very funny household. Farts were like. Parts were hard currency. They still like, are. They still are. Oh my god! Like yeah, like uh, you know, a lot, I think in some families, if you pass gas, you're yelled at. In our family, our dad would like give us a wink, like nice job. <laughs> so, now, I also he also told me that you wanted to go into politics. Yes. Before comedy. Yes. Um, what was what was it about politics that you were interested in? Well, he also after he went into law. He, father. My father, he he got into local politics and kind of became like an aide de camp of uh, the forty third ward, forty first ward committeeman, a guy 51st, named fifty first. <laughs> no, no, there's no fifty first. Yeah, sorry, uh, the committeeman, a guy named Don Khan. And sorry, I dropped a bunch of knives. Um, but uh, I would go and hang out at the office once in a while around election day, and I kind of just really loved the whole energy of an election and watching people kind of make speeches and stuff and I thought oh I can I could bullshit and I, I, I want to do some good things I'm gonna be a politician and then I, I kind of quickly after I, I went to college for uh, a couple minutes I quickly decided oh no I don't want to do that that's a horrible idea and I'm not capable of doing it and I just want to thank your dad for for, for his research because all my questions came from your dad <laughs> he said that Karen Dorf uh, Kevin Dorf's uh, sister, and if yes. anyone knows Kevin Dorf, he wrote for Conan for I don't know ten years, and he, he was a big guy in the improv community. Arguably, arguably, main arguably the best improviser yeah. I've ever yes. seen. So yes. fun. There's no question. He yeah. really played improv. He's a big chess player. Yeah, and and he he, he improvises like a chess. He's like a shark almost yes. on stage. I would watch him. Um, I was a usher at Second City, and I would watch him watching the improv. And when he would enter a scene, it was literally like a shark. Attacking, like he came in quickly and made the scene so much better, and huge influence on me. So your dad gives Karen Dorf, uh, Kevin's sister, credit for you getting into improv. That is true. That's actually true. I got kicked out of college. How'd you get kicked out of college? There was a bunch of factors that <laughs> kind of just one um, apathy. Okay. I think would be the best uh, one. Uh, and I really didn't know what I wanted, and I was work wanted to do. I was working at the CTA, and uh, the Chicago Transit. Chicago what Transit were you doing? I was working in the quality management department, right across the street of <laughs> the merchandise. Okay. Right? So I would do everything from put up maps on trains to drive Valerie Jarrett around town. Who was Valerie Jarrett? Valerie Jarrett was at the head, the chairman of the board at the time. Now she's Obama's second or third advisor, I'd say. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted. To, I know I didn't want to do that for the rest but of But you were life. thinking that job may be politics in the future. Uh, at that point, actually, I was. I, I didn't know. I was kind of lost almost uh-huh. in a way. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to go back to college. It wasn't for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I liked movies and entertainment. And they were doing the Improv Olympic, the I.O. 15th, 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 15th anniversary. 15th. Yeah. yeah, you were there. Yeah. You were there at the Vic, over the Vic Theater. Yeah. And I went with my dad to go see it. And... I bet if I watched that show now, it wouldn't have been that great a show because it was like this pack, you know, too many people and stuff. But I never seen anything like it. Now I'd seen Second City, uh, but I'd never seen improv like that before. And I remember seeing like you, and Kevin Dorf, and the one person though that made me laugh so hard that night that I, I literally said to myself, "I have to do this." 
It's Tim Meadows. Right. Tim Meadows is doing a scene where a bunch of people are waiting in line for a movie. And they don't say... Uh, they said uh, they're seeing the movie Solo, which came out that weekend, starring Mario <laughs> Van Peebles. Right? The tagline of Solo was, part man, part machine, all weapon. And they're, all the people are waiting in line to see Solo. And Meadows walks out and goes, you guys waiting to see Solo? So I understand he's part man, part machine, all weapon? Not possible. And I remember laughing so hard at that. I don't even know why. It's something funny. But I remember laughing so hard at that. I was like, okay, I got to do this. I want to be in this business. I want to do what Tim Meadows just did. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And then how do you go from there to Boom Chicago? I did, you know, I, I took classes at I.O. And I got to work. I got to work with, uh, you know, you know, Sharna uh, and... Sharna Halpern. Sharna Halpern. And, Halper and at I.O. And Craig Kukowski, Armando, Scott Robinson, Miles. And then I got to work with Dell for about two years. And then, meanwhile, I was doing classes at Second City. I was working at Second City. So I really entrenched myself into the scene. If I wasn't doing a show at I.O., I wasn't working at Second City. I was seeing a show at The Annoyance. You know, I was taking classes with Mick Napier. I was watching an improv set. I, I, literally five nights a week, you would find me at one of those theaters just learning. I was 18. I was learning how to do it. and Living at home, right? No, I actually got a, uh, an apartment directly across from Wrigley, from the Taco Bell at Wrigley Field. Okay. I was living there. Um which is good if you like your apartment to constantly smell like urine. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, after about three years, I started kind of developing a craft with it. And then I heard about the auditions for Boom Chicago. I had never been to Europe. And I went and uh, I auditioned for it and I got it. And it was kind of a no-brainer. I was kind of like, I'm, I'm 22 years old, 21 years old. I'm going to go do this. And it was pretty, pretty outrageous. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then, John, when did you were, you, were you following your brother's career and saying, this is something I want to go, I've seen him perform? Not, not at first. Uh, I, when I first came back from college, uh, it was, you know, to me, like, you know, always looking up to my brother, and it was always, the, the school we came out of, uh, Latin high school, was always, the trajectory was, you go to high school, then you go to college, and then... Four years. Yeah, yeah for four years, and it's, it's a very, you have a plan, and I came back, and I... I didn't know anything else other than, oh, you're supposed to go to high school, then you finish college, and you come back, and you get a job, and you have a family. Uh, so I was real nervous when I came back from college and started doing improv. And I remember we went to his first improv show. I think it was a genealogy show? or uh, uh, it was before genealogy. Before it was pre-genealogy. pre-genealogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was at I.O. It's called like King Tut Presents <laughs> or something like that. One of those names, yeah. And I saw. Was the that show. a team, King Tut presents, yeah, yeah, or it was, a form? It was, it, no, it was, it was a Herald team. Okay. And it was, I, I mean, I was only in seventh grade, but I, I remember I almost felt like crying after the show because I was like, the worst show. Like a lot of people say, their first Heralds are magical, and I had my family there. I had all my high school friends come. Everyone's like, "What has he been doing?" Now it's time to finally see it, and it was. I mean, have you ever seen the film Shoah? Yeah, it's an eight-hour documentary right. examining the Holocaust. Slightly funnier than the show I did that uh, night. It was a nightmare. But yeah, I, I saw that and I was, I was kind. Of, I didn't get it. I was like, well, why is he? Why is this the thing now? And I, I didn't see like the magic of improv then. And then I didn't see a show for a few months. And then I came back three or four months later and finally saw a show again. And it was amazing. It was night and day. And I was like, oh my god, he. 
he did this in three months, went from this thing that was like sad to watch to something where I was laughing the whole time. Like even as a seventh grader, just when, when you came back as a seventh grader and you see your brother and he's a little more polished. I was I was so impressed. I thought it was I thought it was one of the coolest things. I'd always looked up to Ike, but this was just a totally new thing that I know he had never done before. Now he'd done it. Now he was hilarious. Like he was, like, and it was, it was literally three or four months later, and there was such a turn where then I loved him. I would go see shows. I would go see Ike at I O all the time, and uh, and that's like that's when I first kind of got the bug and loved it. But I never thought I was going to do it until. My sophomore year in college, I, uh, my college had a pretty fun improv team, and uh, it's the guys, uh, Broken Lizard, those guys kind of started it years before me, right. and uh, the, they kept the team there called Char Speak, and I joined that my sophomore year, and got into it then, and by the end of junior year in college, I already knew I'm coming back to Chicago, and I'm going to go through the programs, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, your brother was talking about, he comes back and sees you. Uh, after three months. Yeah. And what I always enjoyed about your performance on stage, but also on Mad TV, it didn't matter how good the, the, the material was or how bad the material was, you always had this confidence. Where, how did you develop that? You know, it's so weird. I remember uh, the first level one and two at I.O., I still struggled. I never had a problem getting on stage, but if I didn't get a laugh or find myself in a good scene I would be crushed inside and I would hug the wall you know right. and just kind of you know be really trepidatious about going out and getting that you know as we say get in your head like god that first scene sucked now I gotta dig myself out of this hole and you would only dig yourself deeper into the hole and it was really um, level four for me where I kind of took Craig Kakowski and Armando Diaz concurrently where they both really hammered home it's so okay to do a bad scene. It doesn't matter. If you get out there and you do four bad scenes in a row, it's fine. Don't get down on yourself. Keep going in. Keep at it, you know. And I, I just think it, it's kind of like a trial and error thing where you finally, if you have a show where you have like three or four bad scenes and then you have a good scene, then you're like, okay, you feel so good, the show's over. And then kind of after that, I really didn't care. And I think another big part of that too is Mick Napier. When Mick Napier's like... From the Annoyance? From the Annoyance Theater, Mick Napier's like, it's funnier when you fail. When you fa- Failing is it a is. good thing. It's a good thing, and you should embrace that. After that, I didn't give a shit. So when you would get a script at, at Mad TV, yeah. and you're like, oh my God, here's yeah. another parody. Yeah, or here's James another- Brown in the car wash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How did... You, what, what, what would you tell yourself in your head, like, that you were going to come with such confidence? Uh, I, God, I don't know. I think part of it is just... You don't want to bail on a scene. You don't want to, you know feel like you're phoning it in or tanking it so and also I think at Mad TV 2 even if the sketch wasn't good you, you like the writer that wrote it you know what I mean you wanted it to succeed so you're going to give it your best and also you didn't you didn't really care you know what I mean if, if it goes badly if that sketch doesn't work it's irrelevant it doesn't matter I don't think I'm a bad performer for it I don't think you know trust me I did some bad sketches at Mad TV I did you know uh, multiple horrible parodies that do not last the test of time um, and I just think you just kind of got to go out there and really just not give a shit about it. I think that's really kind of What the was the, the, the best memory you have of Mad TV when you look back? Best memory I had at Mad TV. God. Um, or best show you did? I mean, I remember certain sketches. I remember um, a lot of the stuff we kind of improvised, actually. That was the most fun I had when we would, me and Jordan Peele uh, from, from Key and Peele right. and Comedy Central and Bobby Lee, who's from... Uh, 
South Korea. Uh, <laughs> we would uh, we would just go out and shoot stuff. We take a basic light premise like Jordan doesn't know how to drive, so we're going to teach him how to drive, and we grab a crew and go out. Those were the ones that were the most fun because. You weren't a wearing some ridiculous costume and trying to do a half baked impression of John Malkovich, you know. You're just having fun with your friends, and that's really kind of where our training from IO and annoyance, and that's really where it kind of kicks in. And you kind of get the quick thinking mode. So those sketches to me were really the most fun, and just the opportunity to work with people like like Steph Weir, who was yeah, one of my yeah. idols. Oh. One of my idols. Did you see her perform here? Oh my God! Yeah, I would watch her do Weird Ass with Bob uh-huh. Dassey, um, and. I remember when she was on the main stage, and uh, she's, to me, I mean, she's in that kind of pantheon of, you know, untouchable performers who I've never seen have a bad show. I've never not laughed when I've watched her. And to work with people like her, Rich Tellerico, another one of my right. kind of heroes. Who's writing for Key and Peele now. Who's writing for Key and Peele now. Um, and, and, and the cast was great. It was just, it was fun. The, the down parts were... It's like, oh, I have to do a sketch with a WWF wrestler that I've never heard of who doesn't want to be here. Um, uh, but it, the, the pros really outweighed the cons, I feel like. And it wasn't part of the process. You would do what was on the script, one version, and then you get to play around with the second one? Yeah, that was that was the good thing, is that we always said, you know, do one clean pass and then just fuck around. And almost nine times out of ten the second pass was funnier because it was more fresh and loose and that was where we really had a lot of fun now John as your brother becomes doing Man TV becomes more and more successful um, what do you what are you what are you getting from from his 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 journey well just uh, well first of all a realization that you can have a career in something that you love and that you want to do as long as uh, you're passionate about it and smart about it and not lazy about it. And that was that was a big thing. Uh, Your dad's at the table, just so our listeners know. <laughs> and he's just nodding his head like, oh, I've raised these kids very good. <laughs> I'm a, Even his nod has a Jewish accent. Right, yeah. <laughs> very, very For good, 35 very good. years, I'm the one who was the attorney. You guys are the stars. Good job, everyone. Yes. <laughs> But, but I'll look over your contracts. <laughs> but it, Pro bono. <laughs> but it wasn't the I remember calling Ike from... I ran track in college. Uh, and I, I remember calling Ike from a track meet in Boston. And I had just finished a race. And it was, my, I think, my best race to date. And I knew I, I couldn't really go anywhere beyond that with just with running. It was... Just, Personal best time that I was very happy with, and there's not much money in running. There's not, there's not much money. <laughs> much running. more money in that show business, Kenyan. Yeah, uh, but I, uh, I kind of realized like, oh, I, I can't really, like, and and like I was doing well in school, but I, I had this like moment where I was looking around. I was like, I feel great right now, but I felt like everything I'm doing here is not going to lead to anything that is taking me near anywhere, and I, to, to what I want to do. And I remember calling Ike and being like, I think I'm. I was a junior. I was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm going to, this is like February, my junior year. I think I'm done, man. I think I want to move back to Chicago now and start doing what I want to do. And, I mean, he, it was, I don't think he ever raised his voice, but I felt like I was being scolded. And uh, he, he encouraged me. He's like, don't, don't leave. Stay, like, fit, see it through. See your work through in college. Do what you want to do. Chicago's still going to be here. Come back. The hard work is going to be here. And uh, Hold it one second. Why was it so important? Because you you were kicked out of school. I was. Why I was. was it important to tell your brother to stay in school? Because I think we were having very different college experiences. I was 
kind of mired in a world of marijuana and watching Reservoir Dogs over and over again and <clears throat> crying, and I hated it. And I, 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 every second I wanted to go home. And he had already put in three years and was the captain of the cross-country team and was doing well academically and was the big man on campus. And I felt that at that point to give it up there didn't make a lot of sense to me and it was only one more year and I think what I said is true that that one year that you might forego it's not a huge advantage it's not like improv's going away it's not like you know they're going to stop doing shows so you've come this far why not go a little farther I'm still a hypocrite though no 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 but that was still it was a huge realization for me it was it was the hard work that you put in and that's when I realized like as long as you're committed to what you want to do it's it is going to work out because you can always fall back on the fact that you are doing what you want to do. And, and, and you know, Ike is, uh, if you've ever met him, he's one of the most well-read and well-spoken people uh, and just, like, super smart. But were you the guy, Were you the athlete and the academic and he was the, the funny one? I mean, I, I, Ike, was always, Ike was always hilarious. Ike was always the funny one. I never considered myself an academic or an athlete. Well, you <laughs> he was... You were captain of the cross country team, yeah, well. and you got good grades, and you were funny. Whereas I was just funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like a Devito Schwarzenegger thing. <laughs> we were both the leftover parts. We were both the Devito. <laughs> so now that that, what would you tell your brother now? I mean, this is not an easy business, and I think a lot of people think. Okay, you had a great run on Man TV. Yeah. You're now on Eastbound and Down. Right. But there is so much. Oh, he told me. He told what did he say? He he said if when I said I wanted to, uh, I don't remember if it was before I moved out to LA or when I was going back to Chicago to do it. But no, no, it was it was when I decided to move out to LA finally and was like, all right, if you want to do it, you got to go for it. And I, I could sense excitement in his voice, uh, and also like. Fair warning, you know, just like good advice. Like if you want to do it, you have you have to do it, and you have to uh, you have to know that it's not it's not going to be the easiest thing. And that's horrible. It's a terrible existence. That ninety nine point nine percent of it of the time, you're you're bummed out that you didn't get that part. Your script didn't sell. Yeah. You're angry. Why is this guy? And it, it's at all levels. That's why is this guy getting that I didn't? Get? And that's I, a, I, I I can relate. To you know this. what that's like? I know. And, it's and you who else can relate to that? George Clooney. Lost out of the part to Brad Pitt. You right. know what I mean? Like, so it, it, that's the great thing about show business is there is no ceiling. But at the same time, you're always going to want more. You're always yeah. going to want the part that this guy got, and that script sold for a blank, and my sold, mine sold for this. So I just I feel like you have to really kind of prepare yourself to if you're going to do it, really do it. And I think there's a lot of people that move out to LA and within three months are like, I can't do it. I, I quit acting, and they go and they work at a, a finance, and that's great. That's amazing. Well, like, I knew him, and I knew he's the kind of guy who's very persistent and stubborn and wants, if he sets his mind to do something, he's going to do it, and if it kills him. And I just want to know, it could kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you look at your track, you bet on Mad TV, how long had you studied improv? I had studied improv. I, I started when I was 18-ish. Okay. And then I got on Mad TV when I was 25-ish, so, 26. I mean, so I'd done it a long time. Right. And, and I told him that too. I said, I've been doing it a long time, and you've been doing it a short time, so keep that in mind when you're out there that it takes time to develop. And he developed at Accelerated Development that when he got out there. Okay, yeah. I'm going to push you on this. Yeah. I think seven years to be on a, on a network television show yeah. is incredible. Okay? It's, yeah. Uh, really. For considering, I, uh, 
my research department. Your father said you didn't do you didn't do theater in college. You no. didn't do theater at La in no, high school. You, you were uh, the lion. What you? Uh, no, I wanted to do the lion in Wizard of Oz, and they oh, gave you, it to Ben Horwich, and I was the goddamn uncle Annie M's husband. Right. But I heard the temple. They're going to do a fundraiser, and they're going to give you that part. Are they really? Yeah, it's off that the record. Off the record. But if you think about it, life. going back to this, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you did it in a very short period of time. Honestly. Rel relatively. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm just going to push you on sure, that. Sure, sure. I don't know where I was going. <laughs> I honestly, I, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I think, yes, in a, in a certain respect, I didn't put in a ton of groundwork because I didn't do the, you know, the college theater and everything, and I wasn't a theater nerd growing up. But I committed really, really hard okay. to those, those five, here's, six years. Here's the point. Yes. You did it in a short period of time. I'm yes. not taking any, I don't mean to take anything away from you. No, I don't I'm know. saying that what is it that you're, because what is it, the drive and the focus that got you from Chicago to, to L.A. in seven years on a major television show? Well, I'll say this. I think, I think up until that, until I got hired at Mad TV, I was like, really like anyone else, right? I was just like, I love, there's a thousand guys in Chicago like me who are tall, doughy, funny guys who, who, love the, who love to laugh and they want to be in the entertainment business and are willing to put in the time. They're willing to put in the time. They're willing to focus. I honestly do attribute a kind of combination of serendipitous luck and timing with getting hired to Mad TV. I was out there. I was doing a two-man show with uh, Josh Myers. The Myers brothers and I moved out there together, Josh and Seth Myers. We were doing a two-man show, and Mad TV had just released two guys. And right around that time, we had become friends with someone else who was on the show, and she happened to invite the producer to see our two-man show. So a lot of that really is luck. It really is just being at the right place at the right time. So I'll say I did put in the work, and I, I was definitely driven to do it. But at the same time, I definitely had a little bit of uh, help. I think from Chicago played a huge part. I mean, when you're 21, you got boom, and so you're playing to a sold-out audience of 300 like drunk people every night that yeah. you have to control. Drunk Australians who are just yelling out Bill Clinton and Viagra so you, you, suggestions nonstop. That's you, you can't. Bill Clinton, Viagra. <laughs> Bill Clinton doing Viagra. Do a sketch. I mean, it doesn't get harder to, I think, uh, appease the audience yeah. than in those situations. And like, I remember I, we went out with our family with my parents uh, twice to visit Ike and Boom, and when. I don't. I, people don't get it here unless you go to Boom and see it. But you're a superstar when you're Boom. Like that's the only thing of its kind in Europe, really. Like an English-speaking sketch comedy theater, and that like that kind of sets you up and preps you for having to you know, handle like I think pressure and, and 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 to perform at that level. Well, there's also a double edge of that sword because you're in Amsterdam and you're doing these giant shows for 300 people, and there's beautiful girls there and it's great and everything. And then you move to LA and you're a busboy. And I was Absolutely. a busboy for a year and a half. But, and but, but then uh, there's people who move to L.A. and then they're just busboys without that experience beforehand right, right. waiting for the part. And, and you had that experience and then got the luck. And then, but and it is sad to go from being on stage to oh. wiping up urine in a booth. How did you deal with that? Oh, uh, God. Because uh, I find that place to be the most exciting place, but also the most depressing. One day you can be up oh my and God. one day you want to kill yourself. It's literally what, what one person can say to you. One sentence. It changes your whole day. If yeah. some random agent who you never met and you're waiting on his table says, Hey, man, I want you to come by my office. I want you to, I want to talk to you. You literally feel like you just won Mega Millions. And then, two days later, when you go to talk to him, he says, This isn't going to work out. 
you for a second you think about jumping off of the Columbia Records building, and it's it's tough, man. It was tough. It was you know, luckily I I, I had my writing partner, uh, a guy named Dave Sasson, and Seth Myers and Josh Myers, and I had a kind of a core group of friends out there who were all kind of in the same position. We were all waiters or working at a hotel or whatever. And those aren't easy jobs to get either. No, That's the other God. thing. Oh my God. I remember, bring your resume. For a waiting job? I had to wear a suit. I walked into the Palm one day. Which is a fancy, fancy steakhouse. Hollywood, a lot of big Hollywood people. And a friend of ours was the maitre d' at, Mor at Morton's, right? Here in so Chicago? Here in Chicago. And he said to me, I can't get you in at Morton's, uh, but go to the Palm and say you're friends with Walter McClure. So I wore it. My dad always taught me, whenever you're, if you're interviewing for a job at McDonald's, wear a suit. Wear a suit. Wear a suit. Wear a suit. Why not? So I walk you're in. You're going to edge out your competition. They're not going to be wearing a suit. And wear a tallest so they know what side you're on. Yeah. Um, so I go uh, I go to the Palm at noon. Bad time to go. Right. And I go to the maitre d'. I go, hi, I'd like to uh, get a job application. He goes, Okay, and he gives me a giant application. I go, I'm friends with Walter McClure. He goes, you're friends with Walter McClure, the GM of Palm International? <laughs> I was literally like in Ferris Bueller, you're Ape Froman, Sausage King of Chicago. And uh, I remember just being crushed that day. I was like, I can't even get a fucking waiter job. So I was a telemarketer, and I worked in a telemarketing office where the women were all prisoners, and they would work on work release there, and there were fistfights breaking out. And then one day, Morton's called and said, great news. One of our bus boys got deported, and you're going to be one of uh, our new bus boys. And I was there for a year and a half, man, and it was great. I mean, it was so to speak. And there's luck again in your life working. Absolutely, right time, right this. place. And my girlfriend said, "Don't ask him this question." But I, and and I, I if, if it's making you uncomfortable, no. I, I'm going to ask it anyway. When I would see you come back yeah. during Mad TV, you enjoyed your notoriety like I. Never seen anyone enjoy it. You were comfortable with it. Yeah. You were having a good time. Limos, women. Limos. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yes, limo. you did. I've never yes, had you a limo did. in Chicago. Yes, you did. Didn't no. Jonathan Pitts? You're, you're thinking of Don King. Okay. But you <laughs> seem to really like that. Well, no, I love, I think, I think once you're in L.A. and, and you're doing what you want to do, you want to do, you know, uh, show business and you're doing a, so to speak, good job. Uh, when you come home to Chicago and see your friends, you're, in, you're just in a good mood. It's supposed to coming home to Chicago where you're, you know, you're not doing what you want to do. You're still happy to be home and stuff. But when you're home and you're working and you're excited and, you know, you're a young guy and you got, you know, uh, you know, late night TV money, which is not that great. But you have, you know, somebody you're excited and you want to go out and have fun and go drinking with your friends. And so I was definitely you know, thrilled to come home. And, you know, I was always, you know, trying to get my friends from Chicago who were hired on demand and trying to come out. So I loved coming home it was great and also i was single i would go out and have fun it was great it was great i never had a limo never had a limo <laughs> okay i'm gonna ask your dad uh, did, did he ever have a limo um the only time i remember that ike had a limo was when he was a freshman in high school and he was asked to the prom by a senior girl and he got picked up in a limo that was it that was that was it I want to ask one thing because I, I feel it's in the air, but I, it hasn't. Where did he get his drive and his focus? It's a combination of, of my wife and him. I'm, I'm sorry, my wife and me. It's a combination of, of my wife Peggy and me. Uh, his, his, Peggy is very driven, uh, and she uh, has good eyesight, and so she stays focused a lot. And you I can clearly see where I get my humor from. Yeah, and I just, I just am full of shtick. <laughs> Okay. It is it is that good blendmanship though of like, you know, funny, Jewish, 
lighthearted, uh, you know, loving, you know, loving jokes, and then the kind of waspy, you know. Was your mom right? waspy? Mom's Protestant from Ohio. Okay, so mid, very okay. Midwest. for the Jewish people listening, technically you're not Jewish. No, I am because she converted before. Okay, I was born. <laughs> she can make fun of everything. Okay, and I'm circumcised. Took- I want to show you something. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's that good kind of Midwestern work ethic combined with the kind of Chicago urban fun laughing attitude. That kind of. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask another question yeah. to you, Dick. This is honest. Again, I'm pushing you here. Do you think part of you, if you look back, you were a frustrated comic, frustrated, wanted to do it, and you put that into these kids? I don't think I was frustrated. I mean, I think I got it out of my system. Uh, and as I told you earlier, I, I I did that for a couple of years, and then I went to law school, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I never really pushed my kids. Uh, but when I saw what Ike wanted to do and when I saw what John wanted to do, uh, you know, I wanted to do it when I was their age, and I wasn't going to stand in their way. And the thing, too, because I've met you before, you're always very proud of what your kids... I never got the sense you're a, a stage dad, but there was always a, a sense of pride at what they were doing, regardless of what level they were at. Yeah, I mean, you heard earlier that my kids say, Peggy and I have probably sat through four or 500 different uh, improv shows, some crap, some phenomenal, and uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we like what our kids are doing. We're very proud. Did you ever give them notes after a show? Uh, yes, yes. But not like... But not like you should have done this, but, you know, have fun on stage. You know, like good positive notes because I would get frustrated early in my kind of career when I have a bad show and after the show I'd be like, oh, fuck, that was horrible and that guy didn't listen to me and I wasn't funny and I was shit. And my dad would say, have fun, loosen up. And then there were a couple times where he'd say, you know, a little blue. A little blue. A little blue. A little blue. Maybe you can do that in the living room. When you, you can't do it here. When you raped that kitten on stage and you said you gave the kitten AIDS, I thought it was a little bit much. <laughs> I'm not saying it. You know, you're really joining me up here. You, you know that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when our parents, they would always, you could tell when we had... Uh, it, it, or at least when I would finish shows and I would say hi to them when they were at the shows and I'd say hi to them afterwards... If it was a bad show, they would it would be like, hey, good show, and a quick hug and a very quick exit. And then if it was a good show, they'd be like, oh, great show, and they'd hang around and talk about it. So yeah. so that's how you have to tell by them if it was a good that's show. Your dad is waving his Well, we, we were less likely to tell Johnny that it was a bad show. Yeah. I, I could handle that criticism a little bit more than Johnny. Is that true? Well, Johnny's nickname growing up was Hitler. Around the house? Are you because, serious? Uh, a little bit. I mean, why was why why, why was because when he was little, like if he would get mad about something, like if I get mad, I get really mad, but then I kind of like my dopey brain would kind of just instantly kind of forget about it. But Johnny would kind of um, like you know Hitler in the bunker when they told him like you're not gonna get Poland back, and he right. would no, I need to get Poland back. Like he would literally chew the carpet. Hitler would chew the carpet, and Johnny. Would kind of you know, put I was, up that I, energy. I would call I would call that determined. I would say determined, not, not so much Hitler. Yeah, I was very determined. <laughs> so was that why you were afraid to say something to Johnny? No, no, afraid wouldn't be the right word. I think terrified would be. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I think you get from your dad is timing. Too. Right. I mean, that's you no can't. Joke. That is no, no, you cannot joke. teach that. Yeah. No, that's that. That's absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Ike, you are now on the third season of HBO. Uh, eastbound and down. Yes, sir. And you're working with uh, Danny McBride. Yeah. And I ran into somebody I can't remember who, but they said, you know, this is this is your best work. Oh my God. What? 
why do you think it, this 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 character is a perfect fit for you? Well, uh, if playing a mulleted Russian uh, DJ uh, who's an asshole is my perfect character, I think that says a lot about who I am. <laughs> uh, no, you know. I, 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 I first off, I was a huge fan of that show. Like I, I loved the show. I would watch it for the first two seasons. And uh, when I found out they were casting, I initially was going to go in for the part that Sudeikis played. Which is what part? Which he was played? he was the uh, catcher, right. who was Kenny's best friend, Shane. Who's kind of like this yes man. It was a right. great part. I remember reading it, being like, "Oh my god, I, I'd have so much fun with this." And I was literally driving to the audition. And my manager called and said, hey, they're going to go out to someone else. And I was like, fuck. He goes, hey, can you do a Russian accent? And I was like, sure. You know, why not? Like, our dad really can do really, really good accents. And just growing up around the house, having him kind of do that, I kind of picked it up. And once in a while on Mad TV, I'd have to play a German uh, dealing with James Brown, or I would play a Russian dealing with... Uh, and you'd have to learn it in a, co- in a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. you just got to kind of... Uh, so I went in and just kind of, you know, bluffed it. And my whole thing was every audition I do, every audition, I don't care if it's for Eastbound and Down or what, whatever, I always improvise. I always, always improvise. At the end of it, I'll, I'll just kind of run for an extra couple lines, just throw in a few kind of just like shit we do, Jimmy, right. you know, improv. And I think doing that in the Russian accent and being comfortable with the improv and being able to fake a Russian accent I think kind of won them over, and I think that's what kind of got me the part. So it really kind of comes all back to the improv. It comes back to our training. But just to clarify, for people that are listening yeah. and are like, oh, I don't have to learn my script. I'm just going to go and improvise. Oh, no. That's not what no, you're doing. No, 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 no. You have to. I learned how to audition about five years ago. The first five years I was in L.A., I would try to coast on charm. You know? You walk in and be like, hey, I think i got a pretty good idea what these lines are about. Give me a suggestion. Yeah, I right, right. Script. I think I heard uh, scurvy. Uh, and uh, that's why I didn't work a whole lot. And what you really have to do is you have to learn the lines so well that you can drop some here and there. You have to know the, the, exactly what's going on in every beat of the scene, what they're saying. You have to read their lines almost as much as your lines that the person is reading with you. And then I think if you're comfortable enough, you can start bending some of the lines, changing them. And every audition, I will, if the, if the script ends on uh, Harry Carey's Italian Steakhouse, I'll keep going. You know, like I'll just go for another 30 seconds or a minute. And I just think that kind of shows the people you're auditioning for. I got a good handle on the script. I have a clear take, but more importantly, everyone wants to improvise these days. Everyone does. Every show wants improv. They want the improv guys. So you're showing them, I know how to do this. But there, this. there's a fine line, too, because Ike uh, has written a bunch of things and... The scripts. The scripts, and, and has actually held auditions for his own pilot, and... Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's got to be the writer oftentimes in the room when it comes down to the final sessions, and there's a fine line of being able to improvise but not offend the writer who's in the room, and so many people don't know how to walk that so, line. So how do you do that? One guy came in and auditioned for us, and he did not say one of the lines that we gave him. He did all other jokes, and I remember thinking, who the does this guy think he is? Doesn't he know this is a Spike TV pilot presentation? <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I think what Johnny said is right. If you really like, you, you know, you read a script, you kind of analyze the sides, and you know what's really important. And if there's a line that you can tell the writer really didn't love, you know, they're just kind of put it as, as uh, chuffa, as they call it, you know, that's the kind of line you can bend. And I don't think anyone minds if you go off on a little tangent at the end, because you've gotten the scene out, you've shown them you know what they're doing, 
uh, now you're just kind of having a little bit of fun, and you're doing it in character, in context of the site. So that's that's good. All right, we got we got to wrap this up. I really want to thank you. I'm going to ask you, John. Yes. Where do you see your brother's career going? Where what what, what wish would you like to see? Oh, like I, the the ultimate thing you think your brother could achieve in oh, this business? The ultimate thing. Yeah, reality. I mean, I mean, what's he's not the honest celebrity apprentice right now? <laughs> okay. You can play the receptionist. But I want the opportunity to say thank you, Mr. Trump, <laughs> just once in my life. Where do you see your brother's career going? I see him as being a a like a a, a Ryan Reynolds type guy. Maybe he's not you know going to be Green Lantern, but like a Ryan Reynolds type guy in the sense that he's a leading man. Who, who is hilarious. And I think a lot of times you get, like, good-looking guys that aren't funny, but to have a guy who's, like, good-looking and young and has a youthful energy, uh, but he can also do what we do. He can do the improv and he can do the comedy. So what does he have to do to get there? Uh, he has to give a lot of blowjobs. That's really... No. I mean, what he has to do is what he really has to do is, you know, and he does a good job of this, is not being discouraged. And uh, he's also writing, too, which I think is the key. If you write... I feel like that helps you so much as an actor um, because it helps you break down the script easier and get in there. So I think if he if he continues to write and uh, just what he's doing is 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 perfect. He's on a perfect track to be like a, a Jason Siegel type. I kind of see him or Rabbi Siegel, one of the two. I'm not. I don't know. I want to ask trouble. your dad. Where do you see? Where would? What, what's your what's your hope and your wish for for both your sons in terms of career? Oh, you really put me on the spot. Like, you don't like to be on the spot. Come on. I'm going to play humble. I want I want them to uh, achieve continued success. Ike is going. I, I told both my boys, they're, they're both tremendous actors. They're both incredibly fast and incredibly smart. But I always told them, hone your craft in writing. I think writing is, is, is more stable long term. Ike's doing that. Johnny's starting to do that. Johnny was an English major. Johnny is an astounding writer. Uh, I, I would like to see both of them as great writers. And if once in a while they act on TV or, or uh, you know, act in the movies, that's okay, too. Is that why after Mad you started to write, or was it more out of oh, necessity? Yeah. No, I, I, it was I, a little bit of both, but really out of necessity. I, after Mad TV, all of a sudden I found myself unemployed. And I had a, a girl living with me now, my wife, and I wasn't getting a pilot, and I, I was getting maybe a movie or two here and there. And my writing partner had just moved back from uh, DC, and I said, "Hey, man, we got to really do this." And after about a year, we uh, we sold a movie. And about a year and a half, we sold a movie. And now, when people say sold a movie, I, I know you don't have to give me an ex exact figure, but is that enough money to live for a couple of years? You get a lot of Chicago limos. <laughs> look, I want you to look outside. See that oh, white limo? Yeah. Uh, no, it depends. Like a friend of mine, our for us, no, we've sold a couple and we've never had that big payday. But a friend of mine yesterday sold a movie to Fox, and she's a writer on a TV show, but she sold a movie to Fox for a really healthy number. And she could easily live off a couple years with that. So I think it kind of depends on the situation and stuff. But um, it's it just makes you feel better. It's more fun, I think. It's more fun to write with someone than it is to go on an audition. And it's just a good way to get the shit out of your head. Yeah. Because I got a lot of shit in my head, Jimmy. You want anything that you, you have, that you have right now that you need to... When I was 11 years old. <laughs> I want to thank you guys both, Ike Barinholtz, John Barinholtz, Alan Barinholtz, the Barinholtz. Uh, and thank you guys for listening to Improv Nerd. Uh, 
Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to say it's so much fun to talk to you. I've, I've known you for a long time, and you were one of the guys I came up watching. So to sit here with you now and talk is really a treat. Really Thank you. And also, the, the Shirts Off podcast policy is one of my favorite podcast policies. I, really, I think that's a good call. I yeah. It's a good call. More comfortable. It's to loosen you up, you know. It's to to to. Uh, it's kind of like a sauna thing. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, and thank you that you're that it's come sweating a lot. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I have a problem, yeah. but thank you. So and Alan, thank you. Jimmy, thanks. It was my pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. I want to thank all the Baronholtz in this order. Ike, John, Alan, and Peggy. And uh, check out Ike in the third season of Eastbound and Down on HBO. And you can check us out on Facebook on Improv Nerd. And please, please, please like us. And for more information on classes of the Art of Slow Comedy, you can go to jimmycarane.com. I want to thank my producer, as always, Ben Caprero, and the good folks here at Harry Carey's Restaurant in Chicago. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would would that be like? (laughs) It might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck.